0: Happy V again. And today we're here with Miguel Hernandez from Grumo Media. He's a Spaniard living in Canada and a content creator. So we're gonna have a good time today. Thank you, Miguel, for being with us.
1: My pleasure.
0: Now, Miguel, we're gonna get right into it. Your company is called Grumo Media. Now that means something in Spanish, but how did you come up with the name and the little monster logo? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right. So those are two different stories. Grumo means kind of like clump in Spanish. The reason why I came up with it, because we used to have a cat called Grumo, and it was <laughs> very, like a small, like a clump, like a nice fluffy little cute ca- cat. And unfortunately, it didn't survive plus a few months of age. I think it got eaten by coyotes or something like that. But he was so cute. I thought in honor of the cat I would name him the company Grumo. The reason why it looks kind of like an angry cat is because it's based on a cat, but also the logo itself is something that my wife came up with because one day she was mad at me, which happens sometimes, unfortunately, <laughs> and she left on the door like a picture of an angry uh, cat, pretty much saying, don't enter the room because I'm very mad at you. I thought that was so cute. And I said, keep that uh, drawing that she made and that became the logo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so the logo was a product of an argument all right
1: (laughs) yes that's right
0: (laughs) all right that's kind of crazy but it works now gruma media just passed its 10th anniversary this past year so congratulations
1: thank you thank you yeah it's, it's flown amazing
0: yeah that's amazing how do you see the evolution from where you started to where you are now
1: so for gruma media it's funny because It actually started with a bang. It started from zero to to becoming one of the top explainer video studios in, I guess, North America. It was timing and luck that my first video got a lot of recognition because it was picked up by the co-founder of Reddit, Alexis Ohanian, and he promoted to a lot of his friends, he's got a huge network. So I went from being a completely unknown person in the marketing video industry, to being widely recognized just because of my association with somebody like Alexis Ohanian. Very soon after, just maybe three months after my first video, I got lucky again because Aston Kutcher, the Hollywood actor, noticed one of my videos as well, and he tweeted to, at that time, 6 million followers. Basically, within a few months, I was associated with two oh. huge personalities, and it went from zero to like having more work that I could handle. I started hiring team members. And since then, really, I don't think I ever had any big hits like that, but set me up for basically 10 years of continuous business, working with very big brands like Microsoft and Walmart, you name it. So I guess I got very lucky originally. Right now, we still do videos, maybe not as much as we used to do because the industry has become very saturated and I've been focusing on other things, but it's still a business that it's it's alive and well. It's been very rewarding because I got to speak with hundreds of entrepreneurs uh, around the years. And I'm a big fan of a lot of these companies and and it's it's fun. It's fun to do these videos. So it's been a good 10 years.
0: Wow. That's insane. (laughs) I was not expecting that answer. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So with these explainer videos, some people call them demo videos. What do companies actually use them for?
1: So they're basically for marketing and sales. They're short videos between 60 and 90 seconds, so very short. They condense a lot of uh, information in an engaging and fun way that promotes their brand and helps conversion. Sometimes they use them to help them raise money at an early stage on the startup. They're just great little assets that you can use for many times years to keep generating leads and awareness for the brand. Everybody has different styles. The Grumo style, it's, it's kind of like fun and quirky for the most part. <laughs> and some companies, they really enjoy that. In fact, we have two clients right now. It's funny because after 10 years, you start seeing people coming up through their entrepreneurial life that maybe they heard about Grumo Media seven or almost 10 years ago, and, but at that time, they didn't have a company or they didn't have a budget to hire us. And now they they come back, I said, you know what, I was one of your early fans or I, I heard about you 10 years ago and finally I can afford a groom of video and say, oh, wow, good for you. And so, <laughs> yeah, we've got some of those uh, right now, which is very, very exciting.
0: Oh, yeah, that must warm your heart, too. Like, hashtag goals.
1: <laughs> I know. It's like, wow. So you, you said you, you heard about me 10 years ago and you still remember. It's like, that's amazing. I'm very happy.
0: Yeah. I've been internet stalking you for six months before I actually talked to you. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Perfect.
0: Well, that's really cool. Now you said you're getting off of YouTube a little bit. You're, you have a lot of courses now that you're working with for animation, yes. a course about how to sell a course and yes. how to have a, a lifestyle business of so what is a lifestyle business.
1: The concept of a lifestyle business, at least, was introduced to me by Tim Ferriss with his book, The 4-Hour Work Week back in 2007. That was just at the beginning of the recession of 2008, and I was just thinking about that because I'm actually releasing an app tomorrow for one of his books, uh, Tribe of Mentors. Ooh. It's a, an unofficial app, by the way, so I, I'm actually going to ask my audience whether they think it's okay to release it or not, because I was trying to get This is a different conversation, trying to get permission from Tim Ferriss to release this app, but I couldn't get in touch with him because he's very busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyways, he introduced us through the four hour work week to the possibility of living a very comfortable lifestyle, making over six figures a year without having almost any overhead. You could afford a great lifestyle uh, by creating an online business with very little overhead, which means you could work from anywhere in the world and have an online business and just sell whatever. You could do that with anything that could be delivered digitally, like online courses, or in my case, a combination of online courses and videos, which are 100% digital, which means I could hire people remotely around the world. So for the last 10 years, we never had any employees. They were all remote contractors. And I've always worked from from home. So in a sense, the pandemic that has affected so many people, they, they now have to work from home. To me, it hasn't changed at all because I've been living this kind of lifestyle for the last 10 years. So in a sense, the lifestyle business is that one that affords you a good, comfortable life without having to have almost any overhead thanks to this crazy and amazing thing called the internet.
0: Yeah, the internet has completely changed everything. I know I've been working from home for maybe almost two years now, and I love it.
1: (laughs) There's positives and Things that I miss, because I I have experience working for companies, the nine-to-five traditional type of job for over seven years. And what I miss is more of the social interaction. It's hard to replace that even with great tools like Zoom or Google Meet or all these tools. There's still something that it's great about being able to connect with people face-to-face in the real world that you miss when you're working from home. So there's a little bit of that isolation factor. Their pros and cons. In general, I, I like it. It depends on your personality. So I'm a little bit more of a, an introvert. So it's fine with me, uh, but I do miss the, the good times working with a team of, of fun guys, on uh, interesting
0: problems. That's true. Nothing can replace a real high five. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> with these courses too, you recently had a course about how to sell online courses. So We've been seeing almost all of the content creators on the lines like, hey, I have this online course about this thing. I have yes. this online course about that thing. Is yeah. that something that's going to continue? Or is that something that is slowly becoming too saturated to get into? What do you think?
1: You mean selling online courses? Yeah. Ah, okay. My thoughts on that is that... There is starting to be a little bit of saturation because at the end of the day, there's only so many topics in the world that you can teach. And the more people that uh, come online and start teaching them, well, there is more competition, right? I noticed it actually myself because when I started in 2011, my first course went up. By the way, I didn't know what I was doing because that was kind of like the beginning of people teaching online. (laughs) So I created this uh, course, a 10-hour course on how to create demo videos precisely for those potential clients that they didn't have the budget to hire us. I said, you know, well, I'll do a course where I'll teach you how to do these videos because maybe you can learn how to do them yourselves. A lot of people realize how difficult it was to make these videos and then they end up buying the course and then hiring me. So which <laughs> was great. Uh, but what I'm saying is that back then, uh, with almost no expertise teaching online on a topic that I didn't think it was that popular, that course did very well, so almost six figures, so $90,000 US. In one year, when I published it on udemy.com, which is a big marketplace for online courses, that type of uh, success is very hard to replicate these days. uh, Unless you are really good at marketing or you are in a topic that is in very high demand, which means there's just usually going to be a lot of competition. So right now the strategy for people that do very well on marketplaces like that is that they do have not one course, but we're talking lots of courses. So sometimes 40, 70 courses. And the aggregate of all the revenue from all those courses ends up being a lot of money. We're talking now seven figures, like even over a million dollars or several million dollars. But that's only for the top 1% of the online teachers in these marketplaces. Specifically right now, there's two big marketplaces for online courses, uh, Udemy and Skillshare. Udemy being almost eight times larger in terms of reach. And usually in terms of revenue potentially, so the top uh, instructors on Udemy will be making over a million dollars US in revenue a year, whereas in Skillshare, it'll be hard to find anybody that's making more than a hundred thousand dollars a year. So there is an opportunity for those that are really good teachers and are very prolific creating lots of great courses in high demand areas. Also for people that already have a huge audience and they want to monetize it. So uh, you're... If you have an audience, you'll always, always be able to convert part of your audience to uh, your courses. Obviously, the most people that start don't have a big audience. So now they have to compete from zero. So for those people starting with no audience, it's a lot harder these days for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Since there is such saturation, what tips would you give to someone who is starting from zero right now? What uh, should they focus
1: on? Ideally, they pick a topic that there is certain demand to it. And for that, you need to do some research. You can use tools like Google Trends to see what's trending. Uh, But it's tricky because in order to do a good course, many things have to align. It's not just that the topic itself is hot, like cryptocurrency or artificial intelligence or machine learning or something like that, but that you uh, are interested in it and that somehow you have certain expertise on it. If you notice that cryptocurrency is, is becoming very popular but you have zero interest in it well yeah there's it's true you could make a lot of money creating courses like that but most likely your courses are not going to be that good because you're not that passionate about that topic so uh, ideally you pick a topic that you have certain expertise in and you have certain authority in uh, so that's going to reduce the amount of topics you, you can choose obviously then you're going to have to research your competition see what people are doing out there how much are charging for those courses trying to see if you can differentiate yourself. There's something specific that you could offer. It could be just as simple as your own personality. So there's always going to be an opportunity for you to find an audience, even if it's a competitive space, just because you're different. There's a million pizza places in the world, but a lot of them can be extremely profitable, even if there is one down the street. As long as the pizza is great, people are (laughs) going to buy it. Right. So if you produce great courses and you have a great personality, there will always be a market for your courses. There's no question about that. Teaching online, at least technically speaking, is not that difficult. But being good and engaging as an online teacher, that's not something that comes natural to most people. In fact, even people that have been teaching for years in a physical environment, I've been surprised to see the moment that they put a camera in front of them and they press record, suddenly they forget. 20 years of experience teaching life, there is a learning curve, but if you can overcome the learning curve and be really good on camera and engaging, then I'm sure that there's an opportunity for you to make a a good living teaching online. Even today.
0: Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of different videos about the topics that you cover in your YouTube videos, but I like yours because you make it interesting. And you're also kind of silly. That's the way I like to live.
1: (laughs) That's right. I'm very silly. I love to be silly.
0: And you got these big eyes that you can't take your attention off of. You're like, what is he going to say next? Because you're like...
1: (laughs) I know. I get comments on my eyes all the time. A lot of people say I I resemble this Hollywood actor called Robert Downey Jr. Uh, I would say I get every day somebody commenting on that. You know what? Here's an interesting thing about YouTube if somebody notices something unique about you, then everybody starts noticing. And then the whole comment section becomes just about that topic, which kind of <laughs> distracts people from paying attention to the topic. So what I had to do lately is, every time somebody posts something about, I look like Robert Downey Jr., I have to mute that person, because I know if that person notices, <laughs> then all the comments after that are just, oh, he's true, he looks like Robert Downey Jr. I'm like, but that's not the topic of the video. You're distracting. <laughs> this is like being at class, and we're talking about quantum mechanics, and it's like, oh, but he looks like uh, uh, Matt demon. Ha, 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 Matt Damon. It's like, no, this is not what the class is about. So, I don't know, it's, it's funny what can happen uh, on YouTube. But, but in a sense, like you did, and some of my followers enjoy my teaching style. I don't take myself seriously. And at the same time, you can learn, which is it's a great combination.
0: Yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about that now, but hopefully that won't stay in my brain for the rest of the interview. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you've been talking about that I'm just like, this has so many different applications, but I'm not brilliant enough to think of something. You've been doing a lot of videos about this app called Glide, where you can make an app with no coding. What do you think are the applications for that? What could you do with that?
1: Although my online uh, YouTube channel is mostly focused on helping people transition to online teaching and monetizing their knowledge online, teaching them the tools uh, to teach online online, teaching them how they can monetize their courses and their knowledge. About a year ago, I discovered this tool called Glide that allows you to create beautiful mobile apps that work both on Android and uh, Apple phones uh, where you don't have to know how to code. This opens the doors to literally millions of people to uh, an industry that they couldn't access before we, without going to computer science school or taking a bootcamp or something like that. I actually didn't know how to program traditionally. Uh, still, I have many ideas of creating apps, but I was not going to devote weeks or months to going through all the code to be able to release a simple app. When I found about Glide, which is not just the only no code mobile app platform out there, but to me, it's, it's the best and the guys that innovate the fastest so far. I was very excited because it opens the doors to, like I say, millions of people to be able to create these apps. So I thought, well, I'm going to teach people how to create apps with no code. Also, because I do see that there is a trend towards what they call the no code movement. More and more of these platforms are becoming available and are opening the doors to non-coders to create all kinds of interesting apps. Most of them are for maybe personal use, but they can solve very concrete problems. And you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars hiring a development studio to make them happen. So in my case, I've created several apps, most of them for personal use. Uh, But recently I thought, I wonder if there is a market to sell the templates or or these apps so people could further customize them. And there is, because I launched recently an app where people can basically host their online courses. I sold it for like $25, so very, very affordable. Just basically a template where you can host and sell your online courses, 100% built with Glide and the reception was great so i saw a bunch of those which validates to me that there is a demand for this type of apps and also to learn how to, to build this app tomorrow i'm releasing a new, a new app and so almost every week i release a new app now because you can create apps so fast i'm like okay what can i do next tomorrow i'm going to release a an interactive book app for tribal mentors uh, book uh, by tim ferris which i'm really excited about then i'm going to release i think a challenge app, so people call can issue challenges, like a 30-day challenge, and you can keep track of everybody's in within this app as well. This is something I'm personally excited about, so that's why I decided to start creating videos about it. The trend points towards more people wanting to learn how to create apps without coding, so I'm excited about it.
0: It seems to be happening for apps and websites, too. I built my website with no code. That's true. That's yeah, true. so... It's really leveling the playing field, as they say. If you have the internet, you can start a business. But even That's if you right. don't have internet, if you have a brain, you could start a business.
1: <laughs> that, hopefully.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, let me see here. Going into these apps and all these videos you're making, you made a video called, is YouTube worth it? And you were talking about how your ad revenue Is enough to pay your rent, which is nice. But you said when you break it down to the amount of time you spend, if you're looking at it hourly, you only made about $11 Canadian per hour. That's true. Yeah. So how is that still worth it? A lot of marketers are still focusing on this attribution of, I got this lead from doing this, and then we're going to do that again. How is that changing now?
1: The great thing about YouTube is that. It's almost to me like an investment. It's an investment short-term and long-term. When I say short-term, it's because if your videos start getting some traction, you can immediately monetize them via ads, right? So that pays peanuts, basically. The way they measure is by how many dollars you get per 1,000 views. They call that CPM. The range is... Tremendous. It could be from like $1 per thousand views to up to $70 per thousand views, depending on uh, and your, your topic. In my case, it's hovering around $25 per thousand views, which is actually pretty good. Uh, so in my case, the overall channel gets about 150,000 unique views a month and generating about, yeah, 1,500 US. This is after a lot, a lot of work. But when you look at it from a different perspective as a marketing tool, then you can see that you can use YouTube as what they would call the top of the funnel in sales. You could use YouTube to attract potential customers. This is what a lot of businesses are realizing. You can create a lot of great content that gets indexed by Google and, and, and YouTube. And then you can get a lot of organic exposure to potential clients. Even though you may not monetize your, your YouTube channel, you can convert some of those views into paying customers. That's exactly my strategy with YouTube and the strategy for many content creators. YouTube is just uh, the tool to attract potential clients and then convert some of those to course buyers or to people that uh, buy videos for my animation studio. So when I actually did the math, which I show on the on that video, it's pretty interesting that a big chunk of my revenue for all my businesses is actually directly correlated to the YouTube channel. So although the channel itself only generates 1500 a month, maybe 70% of the entire revenue of my entire business combined, uh, is actually coming through leads that were generated through YouTube. So in a sense, it's it's a great marketing tool. Uh, Now it does take a lot of work because Making good videos, it's its basically like making a, an entire movie. You have to write it, produce it, shoot it, you direct it, you're everything, right? You could outsource some of this. When, when I went and I did the math of the amount of time it takes me to do a good tutorial on YouTube, it turned out to be only $11 per hour. But that's not counting two things. One is the potential revenue of a good video over the next five to 10 years because uh, each video in, in essence becomes an asset. Like a stock portfolio, if it's evergreen content, which means it never goes out of style, then it could be generating money for the next 10 years. In fact, I have several videos that I posted over five years ago that they've been generating revenue for a long time. So I think of each video as a long term investment and at the same time as an opportunity to generate leads for my current businesses. It's a win-win. YouTube is a fantastic tool. You get to connect with your audience in a personal way. You can monetize that content directly through ads, and every video becomes a long-term asset. What else do you want? Everything is there.
0: (laughs) That's the truth. Now, this is going to be a tough question. Is IGTV starting to steal some of YouTube's thunder?
1: (laughs) Oh, well, you're asking the wrong person because I have no idea. I never use IGTV. I'm missing out. I don't use TikTok. Which is actually brings an interesting question. Should you diversify your efforts among a bunch of different platforms? And I think the good recommendation is here is that you focus on one platform and try to excel on that one. Because if you start spreading yourself thin, it's going to be very difficult. Now, once you have a lot of success in one platform, it's going to be easier for you to get success in other platforms. So if you have a million subscribers on YouTube and then you say to your million subscribers, by the way, I have this IGTV channel, click here and go there. Well, then you get a lot of traction really quickly. But it also depends on the type of content, long form content. So anything that is over five minutes probably does better on on YouTube. People go to YouTube a lot of them, not just to listen to music, but to learn. If you want to learn how to code or something that's gonna take more than five minutes, well, you want to sit down in you know, your computer, not on your phone, and start really paying attention to the video. Whereas I think IGTV and a lot of these platforms like TikTok, they're mobile first, which means they're not designed for people to sit down and really start learning, they're more like for entertaining purposes, right? So if you're a purely entertaining channel, then anything that is mobile, probably is a good idea to learn. But if you're more about long form content, like in my case, tutorials where people have to pay attention, then I think YouTube is still king or queen when it comes down to video platforms.
0: Yeah, I've definitely seen that too with Clever Hybrids itself. We tried being everywhere at the same time, but it didn't work.
1: <laughs> well, I th- when you start out, you should try everything and then stick to whatever works best.
0: Yeah, so we ended up seeing that LinkedIn and YouTube were our, our biggest, so we're focusing more on those
1: people. Oh, so I got a question. You're talking for these podcasts, right?
0: Well, just in general too, like on um, okay. LinkedIn, that's their most followers so far. And then on YouTube for the podcast, we have some short form videos where we explain different topics related to English or presentation skills. Those are also very popular on there too.
1: So I have a question for LinkedIn. So in LinkedIn, what's working best? I know that any platform where you post content that is not inside the platform doesn't do well because the algorithm doesn't like it. Like I post all my YouTube videos on LinkedIn and the traction is very, very low. What kind of content does well inside LinkedIn?
0: Mm, that's a good question usually the the best content is of a, a native video a video that you want to share there or yeah. if you have a youtube video if you're going to do that you can tag a few other people in the comments and be like hey at so and so at so and so at so and so oh like, i really, never thought you that. might tagging like people. this yeah oh,
1: okay uh tagging people Yeah, I never thought that. I guess because they get a notification, right? So then you have to have a list of people that could be interested. And then for every video, think about what? Like five people that you would tag? How many people do you tag per video?
0: You don't want to do too many because then it'll be like spammy. But five is good.
1: (laughs) Oh, five is good. Okay. All right. Keep that in mind. Thank you. That's a good tip.
0: Yeah, it's really good because if you tag five and they look at it, even if they don't open the video, if they even like it or something... Then the algorithm will show it to their networks, and you have a bigger reach. That's
1: true. That's true. That's so clever. Thank
0: you. Thank you. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into the second half of the podcast that I know a a lot of our people who are maybe intermediate English right now want to know how is how did Miguel learn how to speak English so well? So please tell us. (laughs) <laughs>
1: so, my English is perfect as you can tell. There's no accent or anything. I'm so happy about it. <laughs> no, I do have an accent which my wife really likes. She's uh, Canadian. Just keep your accent. There's some accents that do very well, like the Spanish accent, for some reason people really like. Uh, maybe because uh, people like Antonio Banderas and Javier Bardem they really do a great service to all the guys that speak Spanish and have accents. In my case, I learned because. It's a compulsory subject in Spain. So for, before I came to Canada, when I was 19 years old, I already had at least 12 years of exposure to English classes. But I would say that (laughs) I didn't learn much, unfortunately, throughout those 12 years. When I really learned is when I went uh, to Houston, Texas as an exchange student back in 1994, so a long time ago, and that was a whole year of me being exposed to an English environment where I didn't have any other option, but speaking English. When you don't have any other option, that's when you really learn the language. So that's where I would say 90% of my English speaking skills came from, from that year there. And then of course I've been, gee, a long time, 24 years in Canada for anyone that wants to learn English or any other language. The best way is to immerse yourself in the culture if you can afford it. That'll be the fastest way for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. What tip would you give to someone who maybe can't afford it?
1: Well, now you're very lucky. There's these platforms where you can talk one on one with some native speaker, which I think is probably the best thing. If you're forced to speak the language, then you'll learn. It's never going to be as effective as that when you are inside the, the, the country because it takes a lot more discipline when you have to set up two or three times uh, a week, uh, an hour to speak with a native speaker than when you are 24 seven immersed in the culture. That's the top. So anything below that is not going to be as as effective, but there are all these tools out there. If you're very committed and hardworking within a couple of years, you probably can speak any language that you set your mind to uh, thanks to these platforms.
0: Yeah, that's true. With German, I started out with Duolingo. And then I've switched to another app called DW German. It's, they take you to B1. Okay. Then, then after that, you just got to talk. Honestly, that's yeah. how it goes.
1: <laughs> yeah, you have to make all the mistakes in the world. And people will correct you and uh, they get the gist of it. Even if you screw up the tense uh, or the words. Yeah, they, yeah, it just you have to talk. That, exactly. That's...
0: Yeah, the funny mistakes are the ones you remember the most and don't repeat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i made so many mistakes i couldn't tell the difference between crab as, as in the the seafood and crap for a long time <laughs> or uncle and ankle my uncle hurts It's like really how could your uncle hurt? it's not possible that's a family member cannot hurt maybe <laughs> and that's because in this, i've been very frustrated about english believe it or not and it's the fact that english has a lot more vowel sounds it has like i think 12 versus Spanish, which has really five, mm-hmm. which means anything that is not a clearly sounding Spanish vowel, uh, it's a whole kind of worms because you're like, is this between an E or an E? Your mouth is not designed to make these in between sounds. So it, then you never know. And luckily, even if you screw up the vowel sounds in English, they still can uh, understand you, except for those in between, like. Uncle and uncle. I still have difficulty with it, which my wife finds highly entertaining.
0: <laughs> That's okay. I have the same thing happening with my husband too, because he's from East Africa. So we'll laugh at each other all day long. It's we'll have something that happens in English and then I try and say something in his language and he's like, What did you say? He's like yeah. he has like a throw back the head laugh and I'm like, What did I say?
1: <laughs> Humor can everything. I created another app for my mom where she was able to publish all her poetry. And one of the ideas that she came up with is that anybody can upload a voice recording of her poems. So first she read them then herself. Of course she speaks Spanish perfectly, so no problem there. The funny part comes when we invite English-speaking people to read the Spanish poems in Spanish and they don't know what they're saying. Basically, they're just reading words. That's very hilarious. (laughs) Basically destroying the the, the poem, right? It's really fun. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hope you have a video that. That would be funny to watch.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I do. On my YouTube channel, there's a video where you'll hear a recording of my wife destroying one of my mom's poems. It's quite interesting.
0: (laughs) Okay, I got to see if I can find that one. (laughs) Yeah. I want to ask you one more question about revenue as a content creator. We talked about courses. We talked about how revenue can come from ads, how YouTube brings in some customers. Another way that you can bring in some cash flow is by having a sponsor. So you just had a a sponsor video with Logitech. How did you find them? What's the process and how does it help you?
1: In my case, they approached me. I was not looking for sponsors. Ideally, if you can monetize your content, it's going to be with your own products. That's where you're going to have the highest profit. So if you're promoting services or online courses or digital products, if they're your own, if you own them, obviously you should be your own sponsor. Uh, If you don't have your own products, then you can either monetize it via ads or via third-party sponsors so if that is your strategy then you will have to basically create a, a separate funnel to approach all these companies build relationships and eventually they may agree to pay you money or send you products for review or something like that for free you could make an entire business out of that and in fact we know plenty of youtubers that make a lot of money just via sponsors. sometimes they don't even have monetization you don't want a, a competitor to put that in front of your sponsored video so sometimes you cannot monetize them via ads but they'll pay you a reasonable amount that's where negotiation comes in although my youtube channel is not that big it's niche enough and i guess the quality of the videos uh, was up to what they were looking for that several big brands have approached me which i was very surprised i thought they would just go after people with you know over a hundred thousand subscribers or something like that but like you were mentioning before the interview micro influencers is a whole industry so people that don't have huge audiences but they're quite niche down and they have high quality content. Uh, so there are huge teams of people in these big companies that are actively approaching content creators uh, and offering them their products. Uh, many times they will say we'll send you this thing for free and and you can review it. Or they will pay you money. In the case of Logitech, they approached me and they said we have two products we're launching would be great if you can review them and then I had to negotiate a fee once I was happy with the fee then I said sure let's do a couple of videos my thinking behind accepting doing a sponsored video was more like a fame by association which is it's how the world works if my channel is associated with a sponsor that's widely recognized like uh, Logitech that would give me more credibility so although I don't think I plan to do many of these videos at least I thought you know what having a couple of videos where I can say that I'm sponsored by a big brand, it's not going to hurt me. If Logitech is speaking to Miguel, maybe I should listen to Miguel, right? This is how the world works. So I don't have any recommendations as to how to approach sponsors because to this day, it's just been sponsors approaching me. But what I can say is it's quite encouraging the fact that you don't have to have a huge audience for big companies to approach you which is quite interesting. So just focus on creating great content and then you'll see leads coming in.
0: Yeah, that's true. And Miguel, you're being modest. Your YouTube channel is quite big with 30,000 plus subscribers. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess it's all relative, you know? <laughs> it
0: is relative. Yeah. Ours has 92, so it's relative. Oh, okay.
1: Well, this is just the beginning of something great. I can see
0: it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Well, Miguel, we had a great time with you today and you even got up earlier than you usually do being all the way over there in Vancouver, right?
1: It was my pleasure. I just have some coffee. Coffee helps.
0: Yeah, coffee is always a good idea. (laughs) But if any of the Clever hybrids tribe want to get in touch with you, please tell us your website address and some of your social handles so they can reach out to you.
1: So if you type grumo, so grumo.com, that's my main base on the internet basically the word "groomo" itself is something that kind of i own. owned uh, right now i appear on the top results and that will lead you to all my online creations and also in youtube as well if you type grumo media that will pull up my youtube channel as well
0: yeah you're very prolific so you got some serious seo you got the whole first page
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's a very unique word that would be another lesson a word that is unique easy to remember, not too long, and that basically you can own the .com domain, which is very hard these days for anything under five letters, but I paid a lot of money for that domain. It's
0: worth it. (laughs) Now it's Miguel's. Nobody can touch it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And for those of you who are really loving this content right now, or you'd like some help to make your own podcast and to also... Smooth out your English so it sounds like Yells, go ahead and check out our website cleverhybrids.com. Next week we're going to be having an interview with an American Viking named Jess Harris from Platzi So until next week, Clever Hybrids Tribe optimized through principles, not rules.